Well, good morning. Happy Sunday to you. As Dave mentioned, we are in our Simplify series right now. This is actually week four of five of this series. So if you can pull out your journal, as we mentioned, turn to page 14 in that journal. I think this will be helpful for you as we dive into today's teaching. And if you haven't had a chance to grab one, there's still several in the back. And just feel free to sneak back there and grab one, bring it back to your seat. Normally, if you're new here to Calvary, normally our value in preaching and teaching here on Sunday mornings is to take a book of the Bible and go through it chapter by chapter. And one of the reasons that's a value for us as a church is because we feel like It's a clear way to teach, and it's also a clear way to receive. And you can see as we go through a book of a Bible at a time, you can see how each verse connects to each verse, and how each chapter connects to each chapter, and how each book of the Bible, Old Testament and New, connects to one another, ultimately to make the big God story, the beautiful redemptive story that God reveals to us through His Word. So our normal value here is to teach book by book, but... For the beginning of 2016, there was this burden on our heart that we needed to shift gears a bit and dive into this topic of simplify. And it comes from really a heart that is worried and concerned that we as a church and we as individual people are going way too fast. Our lives are full of stress. We're overburdened. We're cluttered, overwhelmed. The opposite of simplify is often chaotic. And that describes much of our life as we live here in Orange County. And so the prayer through this series here in January, we start a new year, is to reboot in a sense and to say, okay, God, empowered by you, I need to make some crucial changes in my life. I need to slow down my pace. I need to take time for a Sabbath. I need to look at the things, my stuff, and just ask the question, how much is enough? I need to recognize that at my core, I have a soul. And as we'll look at today, I need to, empowered by the strength of God, simplify my relationships. Isn't that what you want in 2016? Because ultimately the goal is not just simplicity. Ultimately the goal is to unclutter our souls and then to connect with God. That's what I want for us. That's what we desire as a church as we go through this series. But we also recognize as we look at relationships today that life is complicated. Relationships are difficult And not that you need any reminder of that, but I want to show you a quick little humorous video that will show you just how difficult and painful relationships can be. So check the screen. I'd like to get a tattoo of my girlfriend's name on my arm. Great. Her name's Christina. 
Uh, with a Y. <laughs> she spells it with a, a Y. Like C R Y S T I N A. Yeah. <laughs> and and she also likes hearts. So if you could do like a heart, she likes the color blue and um, sometimes red. Great. Two hundred bucks. Let's go. Remember, it's Christina with a Y. Yeah, I got it. C R Y S T I. Oh, that's cold. You're joking, right? <laughs> that is perfect. Look at For 50 bucks, I could turn that into a dragon. <laughs> no real comment needed on that. Now, when we talk about relationships, we are talking about marriage relationships. We're talking about dating relationships, Christina with a Y. But we're also including a much broader scope when it comes to relationships. Relationships with family members, relationships with friends. Relationships with fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Relationships with non-Christians. Even relationships with strangers. And so with that in mind, will you turn in your Bibles to the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and go to Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter in the first book of the Old Testament. And hone in on Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We'll simply read just that verse. Genesis 1, 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Most likely you've heard this verse read before, Genesis 1:26. But there's some interesting things that I want to point out to you about this particular verse and what it reveals to us about God. Notice that it says and God is talking here, being quoted in Genesis chapter 1. God says or he doesn't say, "Let me make man in my image. Instead, 
God being quoted here in Genesis 1 uses the plural. He says, let us make man in, what does it say? Our image, according to our likeness. Now we know that there is only one true God. So why does God refer to himself in the plural here in Genesis 1 verse 26? Well, as we read throughout the whole Bible, God reveals himself in the pages of Scripture as one God, but three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is often what we call the Trinity, the triune Godhead. One God, but three distinct persons. And in less than 15 seconds, let me try to explain the Trinity. There's God the Father. God the Father is God. But God the Father is distinct from the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The Son is Jesus Christ. Jesus is 100% God. Amen? Amen. And yet, God, Jesus is distinct from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet the Holy Spirit is distinct from God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We all get the Trinity now. (laughs) It's a little complicated. But the idea that it's one God and three distinct persons. And as you look through the scriptures, you see that the triune Godhead, the Trinity, has the perfect relationship. There's a perfect relationship between God the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit. There's perfect communication. There's perfect peace and harmony. There's perfect understanding. There's perfect submission. And there's perfect unity among the Trinity. And so here's the point of why I bring that up here in Genesis 1:26, is that God, by His nature, is a relational God. There's a relationship that exists in the Trinity. God makes us, as we read here, in his image. So by our nature, reflecting God, we are made to be relational beings. We're made to have relationships. But there's some bad news. Is that you go from Genesis 1 and you look at Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, you read about the fall of humankind. Adam and Eve started, but it could have been any of us. As sin enters into the world. And at that point, the world becomes fallen and broken. And our relationship between God and humans is broken. And as a result, the relationship between people, one another, is fractured. And as a result, we have all kinds of terrible things They happen in relationships. We have competing visions. We have misunderstandings. We have poor communication. And at the root of it all, because of sin, is our selfishness that we carry into every relationship. It's the new norm since the fall, since Genesis 3 to right now here in January 2016. In fact, Genesis 3, as we read about Adam and Eve, the first parents... There's the idea that before the fall, they had this perfect connection to God, 
They had no shame with each other, great communication, and then the fall happens. And what do they do? They hide from God. That relationship is broken. They blame each other. They cover themselves in their shame. And so what's the answer? Maybe we should all just move to the Oregon coast and live in cabins by ourselves and never interact with anyone. That way, as we live in this fallen world, we never get to have anybody hurt us and we never have the opportunity to hurt anyone else. But again, that's why Genesis 1.26 is important to understand. Because God, as a relational God, has made us in his image to be relational beings. It's in our DNA to have relationships, to be connected to one another. We did a series this fall, as Ron even mentioned at our top, Better Together. And that is true. As you look through the Bible, we are meant to live in community. We're better together when we're caring and loving for one another. We'll pick up even that series in Ephesians later on this spring. And the good news of the Bible is this, is that although we live in a broken and fallen world, this disconnection from God, fractured relationships, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come into our world to seek and to save the lost. Do you believe that? That is the good news that the Scriptures reveal to us. And as Jesus Christ comes to seek and to save the lost, what happens is we believe in Jesus, we're reconnected to God in that primary relationship. And out of that relationship, we have the strength and ability to be connected and to reconcile with one another in this fractured world of relationships. And so we have such hope as we think about this idea. And really, here's the key. You want to write this down in your journal. Is that when we look to Jesus, our relationships with one another move from chaotic to simple. When we look to Jesus, our relationships with one another move from chaos to simplicity. Go from the first book of Genesis now. Go to the first book of the New Testament. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. And we'll read Jesus' actual words. Matthew 11, look at verse 28, 29, and 30. It's also on the screen if it's easier for you to see it from the stage. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In your Bible, that's probably on all caps, right? And what that means, it doesn't mean that Jesus is shouting, although maybe he was, but that's an indication for us in the English that this is a reference from the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting, and this is actually in the back of your Simplicity Journal as well, on the back inside cover. He's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. And Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls. And then verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From this passage, we can gather that Jesus is the way to salvation. He says, come to me here in verse 28. 
Anyone can come to Jesus, no matter your past, no matter if you're rich or poor, no matter if you were born here or over there. Anyone can come to Jesus. And we come to Jesus because we have a problem, and that problem is sin. And sin is weighing us down. We're weary because of our sin. We're burdened. We're heavy laden because of our sin. And Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest from your sin. Such an incredible promise that Jesus offers us. And then from there he says, take my yoke upon you. Meaning, surrender to me your plans, your decisions, your will. Make me the Lord, the leader of your life. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And here's how I see this connecting with the idea of simplifying relationships. Is that we're called to release our burdens to Jesus. We're called to look to Jesus as our Savior and not people. I have a theory, and I think this involves all of us. Is that we complicate our relationships... In one of two ways. One is we place a burden on others to be a savior to us. Or we try to be a savior to someone else. Notice as Jesus is talking here in Matthew chapter 11, he doesn't say this, come to your spouse or your family or friends, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and they will give you rest. Take your spouse or your family or friends yoke upon you and learn from them. For they are gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For your spouse, your family and your friends, their yoke is easy and their burden is light. This is not what Jesus says, is it? He's not saying go to someone else first. He says, come to me. And yet we have this temptation as people to be functional saviors to one another, to ask someone else to be a functional savior ahead of Jesus in our lives. You've been to weddings before. I love weddings and I love the part in the wedding when the bride and the groom give their vows, their promises and covenant to one another. But we've all been to weddings and there's no judgment if you even said some of these things in your own wedding. But we've all been to weddings that the bride and groom pledge things that just seem so impossible to ever fulfill. You've seen bride and groom stand up there in front of their family and friends and say things like, I promise to always make you happy. Or I promise to always understand you. (laughs) I promise that I will meet every one of your needs. I love you. And everyone in the audience just kind of does what we do right now and just chuckles and go, yeah, good luck with that. Beyond, <laughs> beyond your reception, you will blow those vows. And yet this is what we do, not only in weddings, but in life. I ate lunch a few years ago at um, Tuto Fresco right down here on 17th. And I was sitting with a guy, a good friend of mine, and he was pouring out his life to me. And he had all kinds of things happening. Literally, his life was falling apart. And I'm listening to him speak, and I just start having compassion for him. One of my spiritual gifts is mercy. Maybe you have that gift too. 
One of the great things about that gift is you really feel for people's pain. One of the negative parts of that gift is what I did next. Is I began telling my friend all the things that I would do to help him. I said, oh, you know, I I get what you're saying here. I'm hurting for you. You know what? Let's meet three times a week. I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to hold you up. And, you know, you have all these broken relationships in your life. I'm going to arrange some meetings, and I'm going to kind of be the arbiter of you reconciling with these people. And I have some books that I want you to read. We can kind of report back, and we can, like, talk through those books right there. That will be helpful. And this job's not working for you, so I'm going to go find you a new job, and I'm going to connect you with this new job, and, and you're really going to have your life turn around. And then my friend, I'll never forget this. This was a life changer for me. He looks at me in the midst of his life falling apart and pain, and he goes, Matt, you're not called to be my savior. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Check, please. I'm out of here. <laughs> my job is done. No, Galatians 6 says we're called to walk with people and share their burdens. So I'm not saying that look to Jesus, not people, means we have no responsibility in walking with people or asking people to walk with us. But what order does that go in? Do we step in front of Jesus when it comes to trying to bear people's burdens or have people bear our burdens? A simplified relationship looks like this. When we allow our day-to-day relationships with other people to complement, not compete with Jesus. You follow that? We're called to complement, point to Jesus, not step in front of Jesus. For Jesus is the one who gives us true rest for our souls. Jesus is the one who gives us eternal joy and peace. Jesus is the one who marks and shapes our identity more than anyone else. Jesus is the one that gives us value and significance. And so let's let Jesus play his role and not try to have someone else fulfill a role that's only meant to be followed and filled by Jesus. And out of that, we look to Jesus for forgiveness and to let go of bitterness and forgive others. Go from Matthew 11 and now turn just a few chapters over to Matthew 18. So far, maybe you're saying, I agree with you, Matt. This is good. Now I'm about to get in your face. Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22. Then Peter said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And then look at this response from Jesus. Matthew 18, 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Peter here, interacting with Jesus, says, hey, someone sins against me. So this is a legitimate thing. Someone's injured Peter. He sinned against God and has affected Peter. Peter says, should I forgive him, what, seven times? That's being pretty generous because the rabbinical law during this time from the book of Amos said that you only had to forgive someone three times. That was not made up by God. That was made up by man. But they said, hey, three times you forgive someone and on the fourth, they're out of luck. You have no responsibility to forgive them. So Peter doubles that by one and says, seven times seems right. Right, Lord? 
And then Jesus responds and says, 70 times 7, which for you non-math majors is 490 times. Which doesn't mean that on the 491th time, we're free. What Jesus is saying, he's making a larger point. He's saying, my relationship with each of you is marked by forgiveness. So your relationships with one another as my children should be marked by forgiveness. Picture Jesus on the cross. In his worst moment, completely isolated, in pain, people mocking him and jeering him. What does Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Incredible that we are receivers of the mercy and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And we, as the people of God, are now called to be senders and givers of forgiveness to those around us. Bill Hybels, who has written a book called Simplify. Some of you are going through his notes in your life groups this month. He writes and he says this, We can't live simplified lives without attending to broken relationships. Hybels breaks down the idea of forgiveness into three categories. He says, Category one offenses are these. They're kind of minor speed bumps in your life. Maybe you don't get invited to a birthday party that a lot of your other friends are going to and you feel slighted and and overlooked and there's some pain with that. Maybe someone makes a comment to you that hurts your feelings. This is like a category one situation. It's not changing your life, but there's a little bit of hurt feelings in this category. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love does not get provoked. It's not easily provoked. Our call on category one type situations, offenses, is to remember that, hey, let's not let this provoke us. Let's not let this take us to a place that really becomes overwhelming in our lives. I'm kind of wired to be a sensitive guy. It's 2016 male, right? All right? <laughs> Dave and... I just appreciate Dave Mitchell so much for letting us associates even have uh, kind of tackle this topic this month. But Dave pulled me to his office a couple years ago. I don't even know if you remember this, but it really shaped me. And he goes, Matt, he goes, we're called as pastors to have a soft heart towards God, towards people, but then thick skin. <laughs> Meaning that we're not called to take every comment, every criticism, and let that make us turn in our resignation papers the next day. Soft heart, thick skin. I've remembered that. I try to incorporate that in my life. And yet, as a sensitive guy, there's times when category one offenses just ruin me. Every weekend, I mow my lawn. This is me mowing my lawn. <laughs> and it's often a sweet time. It's often the only time with four little kids that I get to have no one bug me. I just mow the lawn, and I think my own thoughts often... We'll just talk to God during that time. But sometimes, as I'm mowing my lawn and trying to have this connection to God, there'll be a conversation that will pop in my head from that week. Someone said this. Another person said this. And it begins just to mow on me and bug me. 
And it starts to like overwhelm my spirit where I'm just angry and frustrated. And then I have to just take a step back and be like, I just need to let go of that. Forget it. Push it to the side. Forgive that person. This is a category one offense. Love is not easily provoked. Many of us need to just let go of petty things in our lives that are bugging us. It's not worth it. Category two, though, is a little bit different. Hybels describes this as more than a speed bump. This is a genuine wound. Someone betrays you. Someone lies to you. Someone breaks a promise. Someone does an action or says something to you with the intention of hurting you. This is a bigger deal. This does impact us. And this is where I want to lovingly but firmly get in your face, so to speak. We as Christians do not do well with category two offenses. We do not know how to biblically reconcile with one another. And yet we have the blueprint in the scriptures. In Matthew 18, go back a few verses from 21 and 22. Look at Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. they are pretty intense words from Jesus. And yet you see this progression of how when we're offended by someone... We're called to respond. And yet many of us ignore Matthew 18 and we do one of two things. We either run away from the conflict or, or being injured or we just start storing up bitterness towards whoever has offended us. Some of you are here at Calvary not because God called you here but because you left another church because you couldn't reconcile with somebody. That's sad. That we as Christians allow biblical reconciliation to not happen. And yet we have the Holy Spirit with us to guide us in this. We are called not to let things fester, to let things go, but to confront and love with gentleness and to say, forgive me as we walk through forgiveness together. On the website, if you go to calvarylife.org, and it's in your notes, slash simplify, you can find this great tool for biblical reconciliation. It's called the Four G's of Reconciliation by Ken Sand. He runs a ministry called Peacemakers. It's excellent. I encourage you to look at that because we all have unreconciled relationships in our lives. There's even a few hard copies of this because I think it's so important for us to get our hands on it uh, in the lobby. You can pick one up as we leave here today. But where and who are you called to reconcile with in this category? Category three is a little bit different. Category three are offenses done to you that change the whole trajectory of your life. Maybe there's a crime that's committed against you. There's infidelity in your marriage and you experience divorce. You experience some circumstance in your life that is so painful 
that it affects every waking day the rest of your life. If you've experienced one of these type things, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had to go through this. That's a reminder that we live in a broken and fallen world, isn't it? And yet, even in this category, we are called to pursue and take the journey of forgiveness. In category three, it's going to take a lot more time than category one. And yet, in all three categories, we are called as followers of Jesus who have received the forgiveness of God to pursue the journey and path of forgiveness. This is a billboard. I don't know if you can tell it's a billboard, but I wish there was billboards like this all over Orange County. Like everywhere we drove, there would just be these subtle reminders to us. We are called as the forgiven ones to forgive. A simplified relationship releases expectations and burdens of others to be a savior to us. And it also releases bitterness in our life. But the only hope that we have of ever living those type of simplified relationships is when we understand how loved we are by God. We embrace being the beloved. Go from Matthew 18, just a couple chapters over to Matthew 20. Matthew 20, 28 says this. And they're just such beautiful words. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Those are life-giving words right there. Jesus Christ came into this world while we were yet sinners and died for us to demonstrate his great love for us. Whether you're amazing at reconciliation and you can forgive anyone or whether you've struggled with that your whole life, understand that you are loved by God. We are loved by God. Embrace being the beloved. When we are filled up with the love of God, when we experience God's love in our lives, when we look to the cross as a reminder of God's love, it's out of that that we can love others simply. Beth Moore is a Bible teacher with a national platform, and she tells a story that maybe some of you have heard before, that she was in an airport in North Carolina. She'd had a long but good weekend of ministry. She'd experienced the love of God as she was returning home on her flight. She's waiting in the terminal. The terminal is packed. It's a Sunday night, so everyone's wanting to get home or get back to their places. And as she's sitting in this crowded terminal, this host or flight attendant begins to wheel this old man through the terminal. Everyone in the terminal notices this guy because he just kind of looks odd. He has this long, mangy, gray hair that goes past his shoulders down his back. And his fingernails, you can tell as he sits there, are long and and unkept. So everyone in this entire terminal is looking at this man in this moment. And Beth describes that it was in that moment, filled with the love of God, that she felt compelled to do something. And she said, and it's funny as she talks about it, she goes, 
oh no, God, no, no, don't tell me to do anything. No, no, no I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't do this right now. No, no, please, God, don't let me do, don't make, okay, I know what I'll do, God. Okay, if you want me to witness this guy, I'll witness to him, okay. And then she felt like God said, no, 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 I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. And she goes, no, no, Lord, I would allow, let me witness to him. He needs Jesus Christ. Let me change his life. No, 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 Beth, brush his hair. Simply love him. But Lord, I don't have a hairbrush. I don't. Go up to him and say, Sir, may I brush your hair? And so Beth Moore, if you picture her, she's like this well-kept woman, walks up to this guy, lawn hair, lawn fingernails, in a wheelchair, kind of his head slunk down, and she looks down and she goes, Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he goes, What? <laughs> Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair. You're going to have to speak up. I can't hear. At this time, point, the whole terminal is looking at her. And she says, Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? Okay. The thing is, I don't have a hairbrush. <laughs> he says, I have one in my back backpack against my wheelchair. So she goes back there and she pulls out. She finds the brush. And she begins to brush this man's hair. I wouldn't recommend this for everybody. (laughs) But in this moment, God called her to it. She obeyed. She's brushing this guy's hair, and he begins to weep. And she says, sir, do you know Jesus? He says, I do. My wife made sure that I knew Jesus before we got married. That was one of her prerequisites. She goes, okay, that's why God didn't tell me to witness to him. And she's brushing his hair. He goes, crying, he goes, I've been in a hospital for the last three months and my wife is too frail to have traveled to this special hospital to see me. And I'm going back to see her for the first time in three months. And as I was sitting here, I was feeling so uncomfortable and so horrible about how I look and feel as I present myself to my wife. Now Beth Moore's crying and she's brushing his hair. The whole terminal's watching this. My point in sharing that with you is that as we're filled with the love of God, we're able to forgive others, we're able to look to Jesus as our Savior, and we're able to do simple things or complex things that communicate the love of God to ourselves and to others. That's the type of simple relationships that we should have. What I want us to do here is in your journals... Grab a couple people around you and I want you to respond to this question. Why do you think God wired us for relationships? And how does God's love for you impact your relationships with others? And so will you just boldly kind of get up out of your seat if you need to? We find three or four or five other people and we just unpack these two questions just for a couple minutes want to hear what you think about it. So go for it.
Let me have you wrap up. I know it's torture to set this in motion and then just stop it like that, so I apologize. But there's a couple more things that we want to dive into as we think through Simplify Relationships. A couple of next steps that I want to encourage you to consider. One is you may not be a Christian. You may not have invited Jesus Christ yet in your life to be the Savior, the Lord, the leader of your life. Let today be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He is the one that will give you rest for your souls. There's a booklet in the seat rack in front of you. You can use that. It says the way to connect to God. And you can use that to walk through and understand what you're committing to. And there's even a prayer at the end that you could make your own personal prayer to receive Jesus Christ. Or if you'd like, after the service, both on my right and left, there'll be opportunities to pray with a Christian and receive the Lord. I challenge you, if you're not sure where you stand with God, let today be the day that you become a follower of Jesus. And then consider a life group. Many of you are in life group or have been in life groups, but those of you that are not in a current life group, we are called to bear each other's burdens, to walk with each other, to not step in front of Jesus, but simply to point to Jesus. Life groups are the primary way that we encourage one another to do that here at Calvary. In your journal, there's a typo. It says, life is meant to be lived alone. (laughs) That's completely my fault. I want you to write in there, life is not meant to be lived alone, or not designed, I should say. (laughs) And then a final step here is pursue reconciliation. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to journal, just for a moment. And what I want you to do as you journal is scroll through your phone real quickly, or just think in your mind, who are some people that you need to pursue biblical reconciliation with. I had a beautiful thing in my own family just last year. My dad was a pastor. I grew up a, a pastor's kid. When I was in eighth grade, my dad was fired from our church. It completely disrupted our lives. It was such a hard thing. As a result of that, my dad and the senior pastor, my dad was an associate pastor, just had kind of this unspeakable riff for 25 years. Last summer, they sat down together and reconciled their relationship. 25 years later, it was beautiful. It honored God. It was a portrait of the gospel. Maybe you have a relationship that needs that type of reconciliation. So now, will you, in your journals, just take that moment, it's, I think it's on page 17, and just write down some names. God, bring some people in my mind that, that I need to reconcile with. Or who are people in my life, as the question says, that I can introduce Jesus to or make Jesus the priority in our relationship. So take a moment and respond to the questions or write down some names. And I'll call you back in about two minutes.
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us, challenging us, encouraging us. God, we desire in this idea of simplicity to simplify our relationships. Lord, show us places that we need to surrender to you in. Show us people that we need to humbly approach. And God, most of all, show us you and your wonderful, sacrificial love. We pray this as a people. In Jesus' name, amen.